Council of Institutional Investors podcast on corporate governance and financial regulation. I'm Jeff Mahoney, the General Counsel of CII. The purpose of these monthly podcast episodes is to update CII members and the general public on developments in corporate governance and related CII advocacy activities in connection with the administration's initiative to reform the U.S. financial regulatory system. This update covers the period from October 1st to November 1st. Let's begin with the U.S. Congress. On October 17th, the House Financial Services Investor Protection, Entrepreneurship, and Capital Markets Subcommittee held a hearing to examine the impact of stock buybacks on workers, communities, and investors, and to discuss draft legislation related to buybacks. In response to the hearing, CII sent a letter on October 23rd to the chair and ranking member of the subcommittee describing our stance on buybacks and expressing general support for one of the draft bills that was discussed at the hearing. Our letter notes that while CII supports giving companies flexibility to use buybacks under certain circumstances, we do not think that all buybacks are appropriate. Our letter states, quote, CII believes that stock buyback decisions are at their core capital allocation decisions, unquote. Our letter also says that making it more difficult for companies to pursue stock buybacks could force them to sit on cash or waste it on projects with low potential for success, which can hurt growth and erode investor confidence. In addition, our letter states that the money spent on buybacks is often invested by share owners in other companies that need capital more than the company executing the buyback, which benefits investors and society more broadly. However, in our letter, we also say that companies should not repurchase their shares to boost their stock in the short term, especially if the CEO's pay is linked to earnings per share or measures of capital efficiency, such as return on equity or return on assets, which are also lifted when equity is reduced. Our letter expresses general support for draft legislation entitled the Stock Buyback Disclosure Improvement Act of 2019. That draft legislation would require public companies when they announce a stock buyback program to disclose whether executives plan to participate in the program. Provisions in that draft legislation also would require companies to disclose how a buyback plan would affect executive compensation or elements used to determine that compensation. Our letter recommends that a new provision be added to the draft legislation requiring that buyback execution programs be disclosed more promptly. We believe such a provision would help prevent executives from repurchasing shares to transfer value from public investors to themselves, including through indirect insider trading. Moving now to recent activities at the Securities and Exchange Commission, CII sent a letter to the SEC October 3rd in response to the Commission's concept release on harmonization of securities offering exemptions. In our letter, we expressed the view that the excess capital currently available to private companies has created some troubling practices that merit SEC attention. One of those practices is the increasing use of dual-class stock structures by some companies. Our letter recommends that the SEC ask Congress to amend the federal securities laws if necessary to permit the Commission to adopt rules requiring the stock exchanges to revise their listing standards to be consistent with CII's October petitions to the stock exchanges providing for time-based sunsets for newly listed IPOs with dual-class stock structures. In other SEC news, on October 9th, the SEC announced that it is establishing an Asset Management Advisory Committee to provide the Commission with diverse perspectives on asset management and related advice and recommendations. Topics the committee may address include trends and developments affecting investors and market participants and effects of globalization and changes in the role of technology and service providers. 
The 23-member committee includes Paul Greth, the CIO of the Ohio Public Employees Retirement System, a CII public fund member. SEC Chairman Jay Clayton appointed Edward Bernard, Senior Advisor to CI Associate Member T. Rowe Price as committee chair. The committee will be in place formally November 1st for an initial two-year term, which can be renewed by the commission. In commenting on the new committee, SEC Chairman Jay Clayton stated, quote, The committee will help the commission ensure that our regulatory approach to asset management meets the needs of retail investors and market participants at a time when the industry is evolving rapidly, unquote. On October 9th, CII sent a letter to SEC Chair Jay Clayton indicating our long-term support for the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board and its mission. Our letter also expressed general agreement with the view of the staff of the CFA Institute that the SEC would likely want to reappoint PCAOB member Kathleen M. Hamm when her two-year term expires in October, particularly given that she's a well-qualified professional who wants to continue to serve on the PCOB. Two days after our letter, the SEC announced that Ms. Ham would be replaced with Rebecca goshorn Girada, who currently serves as Special Assistant to the President for Financial Policy. The announcement also indicated that SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce would be in charge of SEC coordination efforts with the PCAOB. In commenting on the announcements in an October 24th opinion piece in the New York Times, former SEC Chairman Arthur Levitt stated, quote, In these two moves, Chairman Clayton demonstrates far too much political deference to the White House, unquote. On October 15th, in a speech at the International Corporate Governance Network Conference in Miami, SEC investor advocate Rick Fleming blasted companies that go public with dual-class shares. He stated, quote, In my view, what we now have in our public markets is a festering wound that if left untreated, could metastasize unchecked and affect the entire system of our public markets, unquote. Without naming specific companies, Fleming said the type of unencumbered corporate control now prevalent at dual-class firms often leads to the following. Self-dealing and treating the company like a personal piggy bank. Outsized optimism and overestimation of the skills needed for long-term success. Insular groupthink, in which the founder surrounds himself with unqualified yes-men. Poor accounting controls, a tendency to take the eye off the ball and burn cash by investing in ancillary businesses to satisfy personal whims, declining health or mental capacity of the entrenched founder, and abusive working conditions. Mr. Fleming also noted that late-stage venture capital investors have been paying astronomical sums while ceding control to founders. He explained, quote, This means that other investors, in order to deploy their own capital, must agree to terms that were once unthinkable, including low-vote or no-vote shares, unquote. He also stated that to stem the tide of dual-class companies entering the marketplace, investors must push back against this trend toward weak corporate governance. In addition, Mr. Fleming called on regulators and the stock exchanges to do more. He cited the SEC's Investor Advisory Committee's recommendation that the Commission enhance the disclosure of the many heightened risks associated with dual-class shares. Furthermore, he stressed that the stock exchanges needed to step up and reassert their role as self-regulatory organizations. Specifically, he encouraged them to adopt quickly reforms such as CII's recommendation that companies sunset their dual-class structures in seven years or less. He asserted that the stock exchanges have an important role to play as guardians of market integrity and the weakening of corporate governance in publicly traded companies is not a hidden hazard, but, in his words, quote, one that stares us right in the face, unquote. 
Also, on October 15th, CII sent a letter to the SEC co-signed by 60 public and union pension funds, religious orders, hedge funds, mutual funds, and other asset managers and investor organizations. That letter urged the Securities Exchange Commission not to saddle proxy advisors with requirements that would reduce independence, effectiveness, and competition in the field. The letter also expresses concern about the guidance and interpretation of proxy advisors issued by the SEC on August 21st, noting that the guidance was issued without opportunity for public comment and that the guidance will likely increase litigation, staffing, and insurance costs for proxy advisors that will be passed on to institutional investors and retail shareholders. The letter asks that the SEC reconsider these actions and allow for public comment. The letter also states that any future proxy advisor rulemaking that requires proxy advisors to share advanced copies of their research and voting recommendations with companies could, quote, severely jeopardize the interests of investors, individual and institutional, in a fair and fully functioning proxy system. The letter also warns that such a move would intrude on the independence of proxy advisors and hinder the proxy voting process. On October 17th, CII sent a letter to the SEC in response to the Commission's proposed rules aimed at modernizing disclosure under Regulation SK. While our letter generally supports the proposed principle-based approach to the description of the development of a company's business, it backs a combination of principle-based requirements and prescriptive rules for the description of the business done by a company. Our letter generally supports the proposed revisions that include human capital resources as a listed disclosure topic. However, we oppose the proposed rules elimination of the existing requirement to disclose the number of employees. Our letter expressed support for expanding the disclosure of the number of employees to include employee turnover rates, as well as company breakdowns of their full-time, part-time, and contingent workers. Our letter also expressed the view that the SEC should encourage companies to provide voluntary additional disclosures related to human capital management, preferably using a generally accepted private sector investor-focused framework. Our letter does not support the SEC's proposed approach to the disclosure of legal proceedings and advocates for a fundamental overhaul of the financial reporting related to legal proceedings. Finally, our letter generally supports the SEC's proposed rules on the disclosure of risk factors conditioned upon the Commission revising the proposal to improve its definition of material. On October 24th, the CII wrote to the SEC pointing out the lack of persuasive evidence of inaccuracy in proxy advisory reports, which is a key talking point for business groups seeking new regulation of proxy advisory firms. Our letter states that the evidence presented by business groups on proxy advisory firms, quote, is extraordinarily weak and clearly an insufficient basis for rulemaking, unquote. Our letter also notes that the long list of comment letters submitted to the SEC since last November's proxy roundtable provides scant evidence beyond a study by the American Council on Capital Formation. Our letter provides a detailed analysis of the ACCF study, noting that the study alleges factual errors in just 139 proxy advisory reports in 2006 through September 2018 out of more than 30,000 published by ISS and Glass-Lewis over that period of time. Our analysis of the ACCF study finds that most of the purported errors relate to analytical or methodology differences. Our analysis also indicates that the ACCF study is simply wrong on 18 of the 39 claimed factual errors, and another 8 of the alleged factual errors derived from mistakes or extraordinarily opaque reporting in the company's proxy statements. 
Our letter concludes that if the commission chooses to move ahead on proxy advisor regulation, the SEC itself should develop reliable, meaningful evidence on this question of alleged errors by proxy advisor firms. Late on the evening of October 29th, the SEC announced that it will meet November 5th to consider proposing rules that would regulate proxy advisory firms and change thresholds for shareholder proposals to be in company proxy statements. On the latter issue, the SEC is expected to increase ownership and resubmission requirements, limiting retail investor use of the shareholder proposal, and impeding new social and environmental proposals that might be raised in the future, since such proposals generally take time to gain traction. The news reports on the proxy advisory's proposed rule is cryptic, but news articles suggest the commission may propose a regulatory structure that would undercut the contractual relationship between investor clients and proxy advisory firms, limiting the firm's independence and business viability. The goal appears to be more management-friendly approach by proxy advisors, particularly on executive compensation. On October 31st, Institutional Shareholder Services, a leading proxy advisory firm, filed a lawsuit against the Securities and Exchange Commission. The lawsuit seeks to overturn the Commission's August 21st guidance that proxy advice is solicitation under the federal proxy rules and the regulatory regime the SEC plans to put in place as a result of that determination. The complaint, filed in the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, contends that the SEC's determination was unlawful and should be set aside. ISS contends that providing proxy advice is not solicitation. The SEC should have sought public comment on the proposed guidance, and the determination was arbitrary and capricious. ISS President and CEO Gary Ritelny said in a statement that ISS was, quote, deeply concerned, unquote, that the SEC guidance, quote, will be used or interpreted in a way that could impede our ability to deliver our data, research, and analysis in an independent and timely manner, unquote. The concerns raised by ISS in their complaint and by their CEO are similar to the concerns raised by CII in numerous letters to the SEC, most recently in the October 24th letter I referenced earlier. In other recent corporate governance news, on October 24th, Bloomberg Tax published an op-ed by CII General Counsel Chef Mahoney, yours truly, that expresses concerns about attempts to override the decisions of the Financial Accounting Standards Board in connection with their standard on financial instruments credit losses, commonly known as CECL. My op-ed specifically references the Responsible Accounting Standards Act of 2019, a bill that would impose standards designed for federal regulatory agencies on the private sector FASB. I note that that legislation, quote, seems to ignore FASB's already rigorous and transparent standard-setting processes that are far more independent than the regulatory structure the bill seeks to impose, unquote. Finally, on October 25th, CII filed an amicus brief in the case of Salzburg v. Shibakuki, which is pending in the Delaware Supreme Court. The case raises issues about the rights of Delaware companies, in this case Blue Apron, Stitch Fix, and Roku, to adopt forum selection provisions that limit certain litigation to particular judicial forums. CII has a membership-approved policy that states that, quote, companies should not attempt to restrict the venue for shareholder claims by adopting charter or bylaw provisions that seek to establish an exclusive forum. Our brief argues that corporate boards lack authority to govern matters beyond the corporation-stockholder relationship defined by state corporation law. 
A brief also states that, quote, charter and bylaw provisions that limit the forms available to vindicate stockholder rights decrease the efficacy of a critical tool for promoting good corporate governance and ensuring accountability to investors, unquote. That completes my corporate governance and financial regulatory update. If you have any questions regarding any of the issues I highlighted, please feel free to email me at jeff, J-E-F-F, at cii.org, or give me a call at 202-822-0800. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.